Okay, so if you've been with us now for a while, you know that we are in the midst of this series called Joy. And we're talking about uh, basically that we can find joy uh, in Jesus. But before we jump into the series this morning, uh, I want to let you guys in on a little bit of a secret. Um, And here's what the secret is. Those of you that uh, come here on a regular basis, you know Pastor Adam. uh, And there is, it, it is not a secret that Adam is a huge Miami Dolphins fan. Uh, he has actually desecrated this stage uh, with a Miami Dolphins jersey. Um, and it is not a secret also that I'm an Eagles fan. I've always been an Eagles fan since the time I was little. And today, the Eagles are playing in Minnesota. Now, I want you to know, as, as passionate of an Eagles fan as I am, I have never traveled to see them play. I've never gone to see them play in a visiting stadium. I've been down to Philly to watch them play, but I've never gone there. Well, today... Pastor Adam traveled 1,100 miles to go see the Eagles play in Minnesota. And I think it's because he doesn't want the secret to get out. If he went to Philadelphia, he might run into somebody that knows him. But I think he's safe 1,100 miles away. Now, the real reason that he's in Minnesota is because of his sister. His sister lives in Minnesota, but he is taking in the Eagles game this afternoon. So if you want to buy him something that has Eagles on it uh, for Christmas, I would say go ahead. That'd be great. Okay. So we are in this series. It's called Joy. And this time of year, this December, um, it's interesting. This word joy, it doesn't get a whole lot of use uh, from January to November. And then suddenly when the the calendar hits November and we pass uh, the threshold of Thanksgiving, every radio station starts playing nothing but Christmas music. And you start talking about this word joy. There's a lot of excitement around the holidays. Kids are all excited because there there might be gifts under the tree. Uh, Just family gatherings, get-togethers. There's often a lot of joy with that. Now, perhaps today you find yourself in a place where you know, there's broken relationships in your, in, within your family. Uh, maybe there's financial hardship. And I just want to acknowledge that this time of year might not be a very joyful time of year for you. Because the holidays, though those things hurt all throughout the year, uh, the holidays can be a stark reminder. It can be really painful this time of year to have to face those things. And so I want to acknowledge that. But Even as I say that to you, I want to pose a question to you this morning, uh, actually several. And here's the question I want to pose. Where does joy come from? More specifically, you could ask it personally. Where does my joy come from? If I had to answer, what brings joy to my life? What would your answer be? And then you could ask it this way. Maybe these two questions maybe will help you find the answer to that first one. If I had blank, whatever it is, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's uh, some material possession, maybe it's a different job, but if I had that, I would have joy in my life. Some of the young people in the room might say, if I had an Xbox One, I would have joy in my life. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. The second question is, if I would lose or if I lost blank, What is that blank in your life? If I lost this in my life, I would lose my joy. Maybe it's, maybe again, it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's, maybe it's your savings account. Maybe it's some possession that you have. But if I lost that, I wouldn't have joy. 
And here's the big idea for this morning. Jesus and joy are a package deal. They come together. When you receive Jesus, you should have joy in your life. It should come naturally. When we come to Jesus, we should have joy in our life. Because without Jesus, we can't have true joy. Now, in full disclosure, I need to let you know that you'll find that on your bulletin, that, that title, A Package Deal. Um, some of you may have read, read this book. Uh, it's called Jesus Is. It's written by a guy named Judah Smith. If you read chapter 9 of his book, you will find that idea that Jesus and joy are a package deal. So I don't want any of you to read his book and say that Chris plagiarized or stole his idea. So I'm giving full credit to him. Um, But that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I'd love to give you one. and I can get you one at the end of the service. You just come see me or see one of the people back at the welcome desk. We'd love to get you one. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is pretty easy to find. It's it's in what we call our New Testament, Matthew, Mark. And then you'll find this guy, uh, Luke. And we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Before we do that, I want to give you a little background on uh, this guy, Luke, because I think it's really important that we understand who these writers are that are writing um, these, these uh, letters, is basically what they are. This was a, a letter that, that Luke wrote to a friend of his, and his name is Theophilus, and he was writing this letter to Theophilus to convince him of who Jesus is. Now, one of the things I love about Luke is Luke is a physician. We find out later in Scripture that Luke is a doctor. He's extremely intelligent. He is not, contrary to what some may think, he was not one of Jesus' disciples. Oftentimes we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were the disciples. Well, Luke was not one of those disciples. But he was very close with uh, the friends or some of Jesus' disciples. And one of the things that he did was he set out to understand. He's an investigator. He interviewed people. He wanted to know the events surrounding Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And then he was a huge part of the movement to start the early church after uh, Jesus had uh, been risen from the dead and gone into heaven. So that's who Luke is. And so as he writes, many of the things that I think he's writing are from accounts that he has taken in. He's, he's interviewed people. I believe that he interviewed Mary uh, and some others that he would have been close with to understand the events that were happening. So Luke chapter 2, here we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I want to pause here for a second, because I always find it interesting that around this time of year, you'll see these angels on a tree, uh, maybe on different decorations, maybe on a coffee mug or or something like that. You might find these little, uh, fluffy, nice angels. And... 
what we see here in the text is that God's angels come with power and authority. The shepherds were in the field, and this wasn't something that, that they just took in. It, it terrified them, right? The angel that comes to, to proclaim the, the birth of Christ, it terrifies the shepherds so much so that the angel uh, has to tell them, do not be afraid, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now let me pause there again for a second. Imagine yourself, put yourself in this place of the shepherds. All right, it's nighttime, you're out uh, in the fields with your, the, the flock, okay? And first this angel comes to you and proclaims to you that the Savior, the Savior that you're waiting for, the Messiah, has been born, all right? And you're going to get to go and see him. And then a host of angels. Now, I don't know what that number is. Uh, the, the other term there is that a company of angels. It, it, it's actually a military term. So the skies open up. And this point in history is so important that the angels cannot hold back. The skies open up and the shepherds see them praising and worshiping God. So this is a huge moment. And the shepherds, they, they move in faith. They don't think that something's happened. They don't think that the mushrooms that they were eating have caused some hallucination or something like that. They take it in faith and they, they say, wow, we got to go see what these angels are talking about. The angels have given us a word and we got to go see it. So they go. When the angels had left them, verse 15, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they didn't store it up within themselves. They were like, we have to go and see what God is doing. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them. So they went out and they proclaimed it. They went out and proclaimed what had happened, what they had seen. Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things, uh, all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So there is kind of the overview uh, of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2. And what I want to do this morning for us is I want to pull in real close and look at uh, specifically one uh, verse out of here. And it's verse 10. So you can look at that with me. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news. This is where we get our word gospel. If you're new to church and you hear people say the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we're basically saying is the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus. And some of you may hear this phrase and you may think, okay, I've been walking with Jesus for some time now and I'm still trying to figure out why this is good news. Because my life still isn't going the way I want it to go. My life still isn't uh, the way that I've planned it out, the things that I hope for. And see, what happens sometimes with, with 
with us is that we can twist this just a little bit. We can twist this, twist this good news and we can think that, okay, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to have all the things that my heart desires. I'm going to have health. I'm going to have wealth and things are going to go great for me. That's not the good news that Jesus was coming to proclaim that that's not the gospel. Jesus actually gives us uh, some places where he says, you know, things, things are going to be tough for you. Things are going to be difficult. And I want to show some of those to you. Um, one specifically, John 16. You don't have to turn there. John 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, his closest friends. Okay, this is Jesus preparing them for the time that he is about to be crucified. He's about to leave them and be crucified. And here's what he says to them. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. An interesting word that he uses there, peace. It's also the word, if you go back to Luke chapter 2, that the angels proclaim peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. So Jesus tells them you'll have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. There it is. In this world, he's telling the disciples, in this world you will have trouble. If you and I sign up to be Christians and we put our faith in Jesus and we think that everything is going to go well and everything is going to go perfect and run smoothly, we've missed it. Because this is for us too. In this world, there will be trouble. You can go to 1 Timothy and it actually says those that put their faith in Jesus, they will find persecution. Persecution will come. Trouble will come. But Jesus then again says, I have overcome the world. Take heart. I've overcome the world. So it's interesting that he talks about us having peace in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of trouble. And I'll show you another passage that comes out of the book of Romans. And it's written by a man named Paul who later, uh, he would come along much later after the time of Jesus, and he would be a big part of the start of the early church. And Paul had one of the most difficult lives that I have ever read about. He went through a lot of pain and turmoil for the sake of Jesus Christ. And here's what he writes. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. What a statement. We glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. Who has been given to us. Here's why the message of Jesus is such good news. Here's why it's such such good news. I am a sinner. Without Jesus, I cannot be reconnected to God. I cannot have fellowship with God. I cannot have relationship with God. Without Jesus dying on a cross, I'm still paying the penalty of my sins. But the reason it's such good news is because Jesus has come and he's died on a cross and he's paid for my sins. And now when God looks at me, he sees me washed as white as the snow that's on the ground. I'm made new. And I can have relationship with God. 
That's the best news that any sinner could ever hear. The best news that any sinner could ever hear is that there is a way now to be restored, to to be made new, to have a relationship with God. And that, that relationship, that hope, that foundation is what brings me peace. It's not peace in my surroundings. It's not peace in all my relationships. It's peace that I know that my relationship with God is made right because of Jesus. give you another passage here out of John. Same passage we just looked at a little bit earlier where Jesus is speaking with his disciples. John chapter 16, verses 22 through 24. So with you, Jesus again, speaking to his disciples, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. But ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What Jesus is talking about here, what I believe he's talking about here is the resurrection. He's saying, I'm going to go away for a little while and I'm going to come back and you're going to see me again. And after I've gone to the cross and died and I come back, you're going to have peace with me. And you're going to rejoice. And no one can take the joy that I am placing in your heart. Nobody can take that away from you. Our joy in life should not be directly linked to our circumstances or our current circumstances. It should be linked directly to our relationship with Jesus. The disciples were in the midst of great turmoil in their life when Jesus is speaking to them in John chapter 16. And he says to them, your joy will be made complete. And it's not about the circumstances. Every one of those men, aside from one, would die for their faith in Jesus. Life did not get easier after Jesus left the earth for them. But they had joy, not in their current circumstances, Not in all things going well. They had joy in Jesus, which cannot be taken away. I think Pastor Adam referenced this in the first part of the series, and it comes from Judah's book that I mentioned. One of the greatest indictments against Christians is not our sin or our hypocrisy, but it's our lack of joy. It's our lack of joy. If you're in the room this morning, you're a believer in Jesus. Joy should exude from you. You should exude joy. It should come from you. When people look at you, they should see something different. I'm not talking about walking around with like a perma smile on and singing kumbaya and giving people free hugs. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about an inner peace within you because your relationship is made right with Jesus. It's made right with God. That joy should just come from you. And it also gives you a barrier against the things that come against you, against life as it presses against you. As life presses in, it's hard. And nobody ever said it would be easy. Jesus never said it would be easy. But we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And I think that when we have joy in Jesus, it can help us tremendously 
go through those circumstances in life, those pressures in life. I mean, I think about, I have five kids and I love them to death, but they, it, it is difficult sometimes when you have five children in a home. But I can rejoice when my focus is on Jesus. I can rejoice in the daily struggle of raising my kids because I know that God is at work in them and that God is in work in, at work in me. And even though in that moment they may be driving me crazy, I know that God's at work. I know that he's refining me. I know that he's refining them. And I can have joy in that moment. Maybe this morning you're here and you're in a job that you can't stand. But when you, have, when you are focused on your relationship with Jesus and your joy is coming through him, then you can go to that job and they can, there can be joy there. It might not be the one you want, and you can realize that and recognize that. But you can go and say, God, thanks for giving me this opportunity. Thanks for placing me here. What can I do to further your kingdom? Or maybe even as you think about your family relationships, because this time of year, uh, some of those relationships within our family can be a little difficult. You know, when, when that aunt or uncle comes over that acts a little differently or uh, you're with that family member that just you don't get along with for whatever reason, uh, you, can, you can go into that situation with a different attitude. I'll share a story with you uh, quickly. Uh, and it's actually about my, my grandparents. Every Christmas uh, f- for the last as many years as I can remember, I've gone down to my grandparents. It's on my mom's side. And actually, if you think about it, my, this will be the first Christmas that we won't go there uh, because my grandma is having uh, open-heart surgery. She's having double bypass surgery on the 23rd. So much to her chagrin, she will not be able to make us uh, Christmas dinner. But the funny thing about my grandma is uh, she's not a real relational person. She's very black and white and, and, and cut and dry. And so they always have family dinner at four o'clock and we know we're supposed to be there at four o'clock. And so I mentioned earlier, I have five kids. And so getting five kids together and driving to Quaker town, which is about an hour and 10 minutes away, uh, it's a task. And the other thing is they like to buy gifts for our kids and they have us bring the gifts because they don't know exactly what our kids want. So they just give us money and we buy the gifts and then take them along with us. So that's fine. That's cool. I mean, our, our kids get what they want that way, but it is a hassle to wrap all these gifts, put them in the van, take them into the house, open them up, and then load them back into the van. That's a hassle. So we drove all the way down there, and we, get, we pull in the driveway. It's 4.05. I'm thinking, all right, great job. I've done it. 4.05, that's not that bad. It's five minutes late. Uh, you know, I'm sure the, the ham will take a little longer than it was supposed to. So we walk in. Everyone is sitting at the table. There's no hello. There's no nice to see you. Haven't seen you in a while. Glad you're here. It's sit down. The food's getting cold. It's the first thing we hear. Needless to say, I was a little irritated at that moment because I'm thinking, I, are you kidding? I, I, I brought seven people here. This took a lot of work. Most of them are under the age of 10. So cut me a break. But, and, and my attitude for the rest of the evening was just shot because I was like, you don't care that I'm, I'm here, that you don't care about me. It was just about the meal. But as I reflected on it more, you have to understand my grandma, her love language is 
the greatest thing she can do for us is serve us a warm meal. And so by me, by us getting there late, it was, the meal might not be warm. And so that was very important to her. And so I say that in joking, but I realize as I walk away, you know, I, I could have approached that, that scenario so much differently if I was just focused on my relationship with Christ and what Christ was doing in my heart, because I could have made a difference in, in my grandparents' life. And they, they see my continence. They, they could tell that I was frustrated with them. But rather than looking at it and saying, God, thanks for the opportunity for me to be here today. Thank you for the fact that they care enough to invite us. Thanks for the fact that they care enough to buy gifts for the kids. I was just focused on my frustration. I was focused on the, the fact that I was upset with them. And so I think when our, when our joy comes um, from Jesus, I, I think it, it changes us. So rather than focusing on the brokenness in the world and the sin in the world, but when we're focused on Christ, it changes us from the inside out. And the thing about it is, I, I think for every one of us, we constantly need reminded of this. It, it's a constant struggle to remember, yeah, that's right, God, you've, you've made me right with you. You have me here for a purpose. So one of the things that I do uh, to help remind me, there's a passage that comes out of Psalm 51, and, and I've memorized this one. I've committed it to memory. I would encourage you all to do the same. Uh, that whole passage is a great passage, uh, and it's actually David speaking. And what he says here is he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think it's interesting. Most of us misquote that and say, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, but it's restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I, I'll often say that prayer when I feel like I'm, I am just out of touch or, or getting frustrated with things because I want God to remind me, that I am here for a bigger purpose. I'm here to be an ambassador of his on this earth. And it, it's not so much about me being comfortable, me being happy. It's just about me finding my joy in Jesus. And so restore to me the joy of your salvation. So what I want to do with you real quick is I, I want to just take a minute and, and look a little closer at somebody's life uh, it, it comes out of this very passage in Luke. Uh, I want to actually jump back to Luke chapter 1. And, and I want to talk with you a little bit this morning about Mary. And look at how Mary found joy in the midst of some really, really difficult circumstances. Because I think we can learn something uh, from Jesus' mother, uh, Mary. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, turn back with me just uh, one page. Luke chapter 1 is where we find uh, the story of Mary, or the account of Mary. Uh, sorry. And so I want to talk about her. We'll look at verse 38 and we'll start in verse 38. Because one of the things I think that happens is we talk about uh, the Christmas story and we go through the nativity scene and we see the, the, the baby Jesus lying there in the manger. We can overlook some things that are really, really important that I think we need to understand and I think we can greatly learn from. And I don't think that we ever give enough credit to what Mary went through. The pain that Mary was going to experience. And I don't mean the physical pain of childbirth. I, I know that that probably was really painful. But that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the, the emotional strain that was going to be on this girl because of what God was asking her to do. So let's look at it. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 38 is where we'll start. 
This is right after the angel Gabriel comes and gives her the message. He says, by the way, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to put a child inside of you. And that child's going to be named Jesus. And he is going to be the king, uh, the Messiah. And so I just wanted you to know. That's basically what Gabriel comes to tell him or tell her. And this is her response. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Very interesting. Mary's focus is not on herself. Mary's focus is not on herself. It's on the glory of her God. It's on the glory of the Lord. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to, may it be to me as you have said. So at that time, verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and granted or greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her, in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in case you don't know, they were cousins, and John, uh, John the Baptist is the baby that's inside of Elizabeth at this point. Verse 42, in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she. Now it's interesting, verse 45, that, ver- that, that word there, blessed, could be interpreted happy or pleased. Happy or pleased is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Then verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now, here's why I think this is so important, because I think we can miss some of the implications of what's about to happen. Uh, Mary is in, in a culture where she could be stoned. She could be stoned, killed as an adulterer for having a child out of wedlock. So she runs that risk. As she walks through her community, everybody knows in her, her town that her and Joseph aren't yet married. They're betrothed to one another. But she becomes pregnant. So everybody knows, well, it's either Joseph's kid and you did something you shouldn't have done. Or it's somebody else's kid and that's a real big problem. So all of a sudden, Mary gets stamped with this scarlet letter. That's, that's a pretty big challenge to overcome. The second thing that happens that I don't think we give enough credit to is she runs the risk of losing her fiance and it takes an angel coming to her or coming to him to say, Joseph, it's okay. It was the Holy Spirit. The child that Mary has is the son of God. It took an angel to convince him to stay with her. The other thing she's going to experience is that her and Joseph have to escape. They have to leave their town. They have to leave for Egypt in order to protect Jesus. Because the king at the time, King Herod, is a crazy man. He's a nut. He finds out that this king of the Jews has been born and he's afraid that the king is going to someday grow up and overthrow him. And because he can't pinpoint who it was, where it was exactly, he decides every boy in the town from a month to two years, because i gotta got to try to figure out where exactly that child was born, so we're just going to cover the whole, whole thing. Every boy in that town was killed 
Now think about it. Mary would have had friends. As she's celebrating the birth of her son, she would have had friends that would have lost their boys. Mary would also experience her son being ridiculed, mocked, and beaten by the very same people that a week earlier would worship him and praise him and say, Hosanna in the highest, the king has come. And a week later, they turn on him. And Mary would hear the chants, crucify him, crucify him. And she would stand and watch as her son is killed on a cross. One of the greatest evidences, and I'm not a mother, so I can't say this, but my mom has told me this many times. One of the greatest evidences to her that Jesus is who he said he was was that as Mary stood there and watched, if it had all been a lie, if it had all been fake, Mary would have yelled out, it's a lie. Joseph and I, we were together. But she didn't. Because it was true, the Holy Spirit had come and given her that child. My mom tells me, and maybe some of you mothers can relate to this, But my mom tells me that she never would have been able to stand there and watch me die on a cross for a lie. But for the truth, she was willing to do it. And so all of these things are what Mary's about to go through. Now, some of them she she could have foreseen. Some of them she could not. She could not have ever foreseen them. But it's interesting because in the midst of all of these things that are going on in her life, she says... In verse 46 and 47, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And here's how that happens. Her joy is not found in her circumstances which change, but her joy is found in her God who does not change. Her joy is found in her God who does not change. Because when I can focus on the fact that I am right with God, that my sins have been forgiven, that I am here with a purpose, all these other things that happen in life, yeah, they hurt. I grieve over some of them. But they pale in comparison to the fact that my soul has been made right with God and I am at peace with Him. Everything else, I can face it all because of that one truth That one thing that's happened, that God has come to make a way for us to be right with Him. One of the things that can happen to us is we can, this time of year, we can easily get wrapped up in all the things that we want. You know, you see all the commercials, you see all the craziness that goes on, and maybe you're one of those Black Friday shoppers, or now it's not even Black Friday, now it's Thanksgiving. And so maybe you're one of those Thanksgiving shoppers, I guess I could say that. And you see people going through the store and throwing elbows and pushing each other out of the way and and all in an effort to get the greatest deal, to get the thing that they want the most, to, to be able to give that gift to somebody at a cheaper price. And we're willing to go through all of that. And I'm not I'm not throwing any stones at that. I, I would do that too if if I like shopping, but I don't like shopping, so I'm not gonna go out and do it. But I understand why people do, but there's some madness that surrounds it. There's there's a little bit of craziness that goes into that. And so this time of year, there's so much of that going on. 
And we get so wrapped up in the things that we want, the things that we, we need. And I brought something with me today. You might wonder why this jacket was laying up here. I brought it with me. Um, because about eight to ten years ago, my wife gave me this jacket. Okay? It's a Columbia jacket. It's a name brand. And, I, and back in the day, I really wanted this jacket. I, I really I, I liked Columbia. I'll admit it. I was a bit vain. I, I, I didn't want a knockoff jacket. I wanted one that was a name brand. And so eight to ten years ago, I couldn't remember exactly the date, I opened this with a lot of joy in my heart because I now had had this jacket that I wanted. And now after eight to ten years, there's a rip in the sleeve here where I caught a nail on a door one time. There's the, you can't see it from there, but the sleeves are kind of dark and black because now I changed the oil in my car with this jacket on. And so you can't get oil out of that. Uh, I lost the hood. It used to have a hood. I don't have that anymore. And so the joy that can come with a gift, something that you really wanted, it fades pretty quickly, doesn't it? I want you to think about over the last five years, and for the young people in the room, the teenagers and younger, you'll, you'll really be able to experience this or, or relate to this, sorry. Over the last five years, think about the, the, the Christmas presents that you've received over the last five years. What condition are those in? Do you even still have them? I know for some of my kids, within three days, the gift can find a way behind the couch or somewhere where it's never going to be found again. When our joy is in temporary things, it comes and goes so quickly. And it, it's a well, honestly, if you just think about it, it's a well that is never full. Maybe it's the next relationship that you're going to get into and you're looking to that relationship to fill you. Maybe it's the next job. Maybe it's the next uh, paycheck. I don't, it could be a lot of things. Maybe there's something that you're anticipating under that tree this year, this year at Christmas. And I promise you that the joy of that item, maybe it's an iPad and next year they'll come out with a new one. Maybe it's a new car and Five years, ten years from now, you'll want to replace it. Whatever it is, my challenge for us this morning is to think about where does our joy come from? Because if Jesus is the source of my joy, that's sustainable. That will stay with me. No one can take that joy from me. But when my joy is found in other things, when it's found in temporary stuff of this world, it will fade. It will get old, it'll rust, it'll wear out. Maybe that person will move on, things will change. But when my relationship with Jesus is the foundation of my joy, man, I can find joy in everything else because that foundation is never shaken. It's never moved. Let me pray for us. Father God, I I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for sending your son as we we talk about it this time of year so much. But Lord, do we really understand what happened? Lord, that you stepped out of heaven, you put on a human frame, you came as a little child so that we might be made right with you. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the best news that we could ever hear. And God, I pray that you would help us to put our, our total trust, our total faith in you. And if there's anyone in this room this morning that hasn't done that, Lord, I pray that this morning would be the morning. 
that they commit to you. Maybe people in this room have walked away from you, Lord. And I pray that this morning they would turn back and they would say, Jesus is the source of my joy. They would recognize it. And God, I pray that you would fill each one of us to a place where, where we just exude that joy. That no matter the, the trials that come in life, may we know that they're building perseverance. And may we glorify you in the midst of them. In Jesus' name, amen.